0: Incoming transmission The Klingon word of the day is Ruv
1: These are the voyages of the
0: starship Actually, let's switch this up a bit Welcome to the Computer Resume podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer comedian Mr. Todd A. Davis. <laughs> An executive member of the American Association of Premier DUI Attorneys. Previous member of the National College for DUI Defense. Nominee for the Greenville News Best Trial Attorney 2016, 2017, 2019. Named in Greenville Business Magazine's legal elite, 2015, 2016, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. Enjoyer of exotic rums and crushing it off the tee. It's Alex Kornfeld, yay, Alex Kornfeld. Hey man, how you doing? great how are you i'm good thank you for enduring (laughs) a long day at the office and then sitting for this foolishness
1: (laughs) yeah let's get it done
0: a lot of people may not know that uh computer resume podcast wasn't actually the first podcast i ever started the first one i did was actually called council culture and it was with you but i didn't know what i was doing and i lost the file
1: (laughs) that's right we never it's still lost i think
0: (laughs) yeah it's out there in the ether somewhere but um So, I came to work for you uh, two years ago, a little over two, year, two and a half years ago. It was springtime. Yeah, yeah. Um, f- and uh, we're been, we've been growing by leaps and bounds. Um, t- in, in a nutshell, what do you do?
1: Well, I am a sole practitioner. I have two paralegals and we do mostly criminal defense family law and we represent small business owners as you know we do other things here and there but that is primarily what we do
0: yeah yeah um so you very graciously agreed to to sit and talk star trek but you are not the biggest star trek fan correct
1: that's right but i'm fairly familiar with it uh, my dad is a huge star trek fan um, he actually has a little point on his ear. that He was born with. Um, looks a little bit like Leonard. Ni-
0: yeah, Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Yeah.
1: Um, and uh, when I was a kid, he would when he left for work in the morning would do the Star Trek sign and say "Nanu Nanu, live long and prosper." So um, nice. When I was trying to watch my little shows as a kid, Star Trek was normally on or or some PBS show. So.
0: Um, so I've seen with a bunch of different folks our age that most of them gravitated toward star Trek next generation, the one with Patrick Stewart and, and all yeah. of them. Yeah. Did, did you identify, uh, did you enjoy one or the other? I imagine your dad was more of a original series guy.
1: He, yeah. I, he, he, I would say so. He was more of original. I didn't really, like I said, I didn't, and didn't love it. And didn't, you know, much enjoy it. I didn't really understand it at the time. Mm. It was kind of over my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more into um, immediate gratification type things or sports, um, you know, kind of cartoons and things.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I've, I saw that, uh, you know, and you can admit this here, this is a safe place. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Was Deanna Troy part of your sexual awakening? (laughs) Todd. I don't don't, don't Are you going to plead the fifth on that one? Yeah, sure. I'll plead the
1: fifth. Yeah. I don't think it was part of my sexual awakening.
0: Oh, God. Well, um, so I imagine you've seen a fair share of the original series and probably at least a little bit of next gen But did you have any... sort? Was this particular show with Scott Bakula, was this even on your radar? Did you... No. No? (laughs) No.
1: And I didn't remember. I could have seen this as a kid, um, but I don't remember it. You know, when did this originally air? Uh,
0: This actually started uh, like less than two weeks after 9-11. We were in high school. It would have been our senior year.
1: Okay. Well, then I probably didn't see this then because I wasn't sitting there pleading to watch (laughs) something else.
0: (laughs) probably didn't actually see this
1: that was 2001
0: but you were familiar with scott bacula who oh, yeah. who isn't familiar with scott Bakula. um were you were you a fan of uh quantum leap
1: uh my parents were so i watched <laughs> some of that as well um but not really that was the one with the little um wasn't there like a Technological, like nerdy thing involved with that too.
0: Yeah, he, uh, he, he jumps into different bodies, trying to get back to his own, to his own time, his own, his own planet, or not planet, but <laughs>
1: they've been playing a lot of those episodes again.
0: Yeah. TV. Well, uh, Dean Stockwell, the Scott Bakula's co-star, is the one who just passed away, like right. like a week or two ago. Yeah. As but I thought they were
1: playing those before. I, I don't know. I see it. Um, when I'm scrolling through on the TV now that quantum leap is on there and I didn't recognize that a year ago. So,
0: yeah, I imagine, uh, with, with, uh, you know, a show, you know, classic show like quantum leap, it probably has never gone out of syndication. Um, it's probably going to be one of those ones that kind of floats around out there forever, either on, you know, classic or sci-fi or one of those channels. Um, But you've been practicing law. When did you get your JD, your your Juris Doctorate? 2009.
1: Okay. I I got barred in 2009 as well. So you graduate, well, I did anyway, in the spring. And then you take the bar exam in the summer in July. And then you find out your results. Uh, I think we found out in late October. Mm. So. I filed my first case, uh, the last day that you could file it in 2009. Um, and so I remember driving to the courthouse and filing that, um, to make sure that we got it in and, time. Uh, it was a custody case.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Here in, um, here in Greenville?
1: It was in Pickens County. Um, I can remember it was a young father and the unwed father and he wanted to desperately see his child some and was not being able to we were able to work that out but i do remember being extremely nervous and scared and wanted to make sure that it got done correctly so that's why i drove
0: there oh no yeah that makes sense that makes sense you didn't have a uh you didn't have a klingon advocate at your yeah. side yeah. that's right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we didn't have one of those, or well, anyone.
0: Well, without uh, without giving too much more away, let's get into this week's recap. After a brief word from today's sponsor, are you in a jam? Is the heat of the law burning your biscuits? Are these analogies making you hungry? Alex Kornfeld is an experienced attorney practicing law in the upstate of South Carolina for over a decade. He is well-versed in the areas of criminal defense, divorce, and estate planning. Need help? Just ask Alex at 864 864- 335-9990 or online at alexcornfeld.com. That's 864-335-9990 to schedule your consultation today. Alex Kornfeld, attorney at Law LLC, does not provide jam or biscuits. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. UPN next Wednesday, The Accused. I am not your enemy. The charges.
1: He has committed an act of war.
0: The verdict. Death. Death. A Klingon tribunal brings Enterprise to its knees. A rescue attempt is out of the question. A powerful all-new Enterprise. Judgment. UPN next Wednesday at 8 877- Archer finds himself in the witness stand of a Klingon tribunal where he's charged with aiding rebels opposed to the Klingon Empire and attacking a Klingon ship. Archer is visited in his cell by Doc Phlox, who gives Archer an update that T'Pol's trying to get him released. Archer gives Phlox a message for T'Pol. No matter what, Leave orbit and keep the crew safe. Later, the prosecutor, Orak, faces off against Archer's advocate, a much older veteran of the courts named Kolos. Orak calls Second Weapons Officer, formerly Captain, Duras, to testify, a process in which Archer isn't allowed to interject. Duras then relates a biased tale of himself confronting a belligerent Archer who supposedly fires on the Klingon ship first.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Archer can't hold his tongue and is quickly silenced with pain sticks by the guards. That's gotta hurt. Back in Archer's cell, Kolos presents Archer with the deal from the court. Rather than plea bargain, Archer insists that Kolos work harder to put up a valid he passed. He passed. In response, Kolos relates how the judiciary used to be about the law and honor, but more recently, the warrior mindset meant that victories became the accepted norm. Fire! Kolos re-enters the court and advocates for Archer's right to testify based on an archaic judicial charter. You gotta fight for your right! Archer is permitted to give his side of the story, helping the neglected refugees and merely damaging the Klingon warship. This gives Kolos the chance to relate the numerous times throughout the first two seasons Archer has helped the Klingon Empire. Archer is still found guilty and sentenced to life on the Klingon dilithium mining planet of Rua Penthe. Kolos protests and is held in contempt, catching a charge of one year at Rua Penthe, of which he is likely to not survive. Meanwhile, T'Pol uses irregular backdoor diplomatic channels and bribes to arrange to get Archer back. Kolos remains deciding to obey the law he has served for so long with honor in two and a half years roughly i've only been to court with you twice <laughs> i'm usually here at the office working on something or answering the phones or doing something along those lines have you run into many cases similar to this or a judge or a opposing counsel that's just out for blood is this is this normal courtroom procedure well for earth in the 20th century. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: so there, you can tell that the writers at the very least talked to somebody in the legal field or probably had a lawyer, um, uh, maybe, maybe help them get information. Like they probably do in a lot of different, um, a lot of different shows to make them more authentic. Um, I, I can tell you what is similar, mm. um, in a criminal defense case. Um, There are lots of canons here. Like in the beginning, um, the uh, lawyer uh, doesn't want to talk to Archer or hear his story. He is um, an esteemed advocate, is what they call them on the show. And he says, I know what happened. Um, And and so that's one of the big ones is that you hear that all the time. It's probably um, uh, not... uh, warranted for a lot of lawyers, but at the same time, many clients will say my lawyer is not listening to me, especially, uh, I believe, in, in personal cases such as family court or or criminal offense or minor disputes. Um, and then the other thing is when he goes into for the, I guess, the tri- tribunal or for his trial yeah he sees all the people yelling at him all the clean they're all yelling and booing him yeah of which he says i hope they're not the jury um and the thought is that you're going to have a trial that you're going to have an unbiased uh, jury uh, unfortunately for archer he didn't get a jury it was worse than than <laughs> having people that were yelling at him there was no jury yeah um so there's always this inherent thought that they um are, are going into a playing field that is not fair mm. um, and then one of the other canons that defense attorneys have normally is that um, Archer is, is talking to um, his advocate and he states to him y- you know you're not working hard enough for me um, when he tries to get him when his advocate tries to get him to um when Orak, o- Orak mm-hmm. when Orak tries to get him to consider a plea deal, yeah, his response to that is, "You're not working hard enough for me. You know, you need to go out there and give me a good defense." And then he basically um, uh, states that he's a, a pony for the prosecution. That you know, he's a Klingon. He's not working for him. He's a you know human. These things are not good. You need to work for me. Um, those are all, um, you know, canons that we deal with all the time, as, as you know. Yeah. Um, and then there's also when you have the trial, which trials are rare in this day, but um, the uncertainty uh, waiting while um, a jury is out, or in this case, um, your fate about whether or not you've won or not, um, and so all those are definitely things that are realistic, realistic here on earth.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I think the, the thing that surprises me about this is, um, the speed at which this trial is conducted and sentence carried out. Cause I mean, I mean, you know, they wrap it up in 44 minutes with two commercial breaks, but like, I, it seems like he's, it seems like he's there for maybe less than a day. Yeah,
1: it doesn't. I, and again, we don't. I guess we don't know. We'd have to read the book, Todd, sure. to find out.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's. I mean, I, that was that was something that you know. As I, because I had seen this episode before. I had seen it years ago. I actually used to watch it when I came home from working um, at the county jail. Uh, when I would get off in the morning, I had you know, Sci-Fi Channel was rerunning. Um, you know, it was in syndication on sci-fi. So I watched some episodes before I went to bed and um, but watching it now being a paralegal, I look at things like, how is it fair that they have a Klingon advocate for someone who's not the same species? Wouldn't they, wouldn't it be better for them to get like a Vulcan or an Andorian or someone who, you know, someone, someone else other than Klingon. I mean, isn't that biased?
1: well sure yeah it's definitely biased and maybe you know it's very i guess parallel to things that we deal with too i think yeah um several times minorities will say um you know this is not a jury of my peers yeah Um, these are not people that i relate to whatsoever Mm -hmm. um this you know, I have concerns about that myself. When I look at jury pools, they they don't seem to be reflective of the um, of citizens as a as a whole mm-hmm. uh, walking around. When you go into a jury room here in, in Greenville County and, and pick a jury, um, which you know those things are not privy to us or our citizens. You know how they pick uh, who's going to be on jury duty. Yeah, and and when is it is it due to the voting or is it due to a renewal of your license or you know anything? So are those people going to be more likely um, to see things the prosecution's way or or be more open to seeing things from a possibly accused way? Mm-hmm. And you know the overall overwhelming inference, at least from what we think, is that they're probably going to be more pro-prosecution uh, or government.
0: But, yeah. Well, yeah. let me ask you, because I mean, like I said, I've only gone to court with you once or twice, and I've never seen you pick a jury. If you feel comfortable, what are some of the things, what are some of the guidelines that you kind of set for yourself or so in picking a jury?
1: Yeah. So in South Carolina, what, what you're talking about is, is, you know, voir dire or voir dire, depending on how snooty the person you are. You're talking to is how they, how they
0: how they want to pronounce that Latin uh, term, pecan or pecan. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. But anyway, um, in other states, um, you know, more deer can go on for a week or or two weeks or something. In South Carolina, it's very limited wow. in that we are told the person's you know name, their age, their occupation. Uh, whether they are married, uh, widowed or divorced. And if they are married, what their spouse does. Um, okay. so that happens in every case that goes to trial or a jury is going to be picked in South Carolina, um, courts. I think federal court allows for a little more extensive jury, but if you're in the South Carolina court, not a federal court, that, um, that's in common pleas or general sessions that will occur. What, what we have to do is press those judges to ask other questions. Mm. So depending on things that might be more biased Mm. that, that you wouldn't necessarily get otherwise, because when people say, Hey, can you um, be impartial to this defendant? Yeah. You know, nobody wants to say, no, I'm going to, I don't like him. I, I'm not a fair person. Right. So you have to ask questions like if a person was, um, uh, alleged to have whatever the client has been alleged to have done, could you be fair and impartial? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is your husband a police officer or does your loved one work for the prosecution? Um, are you a member of the NRA? It just depends on these questions. And, and so you get those answers and then you can possibly um, kind of see where people may, uh, may lie in the, um, in, in the spectrum of what they would be more open to and what they would not be more open to. Yeah. There things, you know, like occupations. Um, uh, most of the time. Uh, you know, an engineer is going to be more black and white than, say, a chef. An hmm. engineer's life uh, is probably more rigid. You know, you're building things; things have to be exact. Mm-hmm. They like black and white, much like accountants like black and white, and okay. they like things to be congruent. Yeah. Whereas a chef, who is or an emer- ER doctor. Um, doesn't get to pick everything and make sure that it's exactly right. And exactly. They're working in a very fast paced environment. Mm-hmm. You're, you're in the restaurant industry. You're cooking very fast, very stressful. Um, same thing with if you're in an ER position and somebody comes in with a gunshot wound or, or somebody else has a kidney stone and then, um, somebody's coming in with COVID, um, you, those people are more likely to say, "Hey, things might not be exactly as the protocol is because my life and my experience is messy, as opposed to other
0: people that just don't have that um, experience on a day-to-day basis." Mm. So. Yeah, no, it it takes uh, you know, it's more than just like okay, let's review the evidence and present the best possible case. Like there's stuff, you know, the other people in the room taking a taking an account. Of who's there? Who's on that jury? In, in this particular instance, you've got the warrior class. They're that's all right. cling. They're all Klingon, right?
1: So, <laughs> right. You you want somebody that's going to be sympathetic or, or empathetic to your client, right? And and the Klingons are not going to be that way for poor old Archer. Um, yeah, and so he's in a big mess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's and it's funny because you know I didn't really see a lot of. I mean. the they they have a gavel that does sparks they couldn't they couldn't put up a screen to show like the some of the evidence or you know something anything we're not going to present evidence at all
1: <laughs> yeah you know and i think that's also a misconception even for us i mean a lot of these cases um, people will say you know you hear that a big a a, um, a big thing is you know what evidence does the state have against me, or what evidence does the government have against me? It's just this person stating this mm-hmm. um, with very little extra corroborating evidence, or it's all almost all circumstantial evidence. Yeah, and you know, this just goes to the weight of the case. It it doesn't it doesn't go to whether or not um, they can bring the case. Right. And some cases are very much more like. Very little evidence, or or the only evidence they have is testimony of somebody. You know, criminal sexual conduct cases are especially delayed, are almost always um, the statements of the uh, alleged victims. Uh, whereas um, domestic violence cases, usually you have pictures of the alleged victim. Um, and there's bruising or, or Injuries, blood yeah. or something, or if you have a embezzlement case, you're going to have a paper trail. It's going to be highly specific and direct evidence, um, uh, you know, or, Yeah. so, and now there's more and more video, um, and people, uh, like to film themselves more often and have their cell phone with them everywhere they go. So, yeah. Um.
0: Well, yeah, that was something that I thought that was interesting because I think in in the time that I've been working for you, we've seen at least a few instances without getting into, you know, details of any specific case or anything. But we've seen a few instances of a he said, she said, but those are few and far between nowadays. It's kind of like there's usually mounting evidence one way or another nowadays, you know, 20, 30 years ago might have been a little bit different.
1: Well, I don't. I don't know if I fully agree. I mean, it depends on the case, I think, Todd. Right. So, like, yes, um, if you have, um, well, I'm trying to think of certain cases, Um, you know, if you have a robbery of a a quickie mart, there's usually video surveillance, and it at least matches the description of the alleged defendant. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, There's usually now they have people have cell phones and there's going to be a tracker because of triangulation of the cell phone and everything. And they can at least, um, and we could, you know, argue about that, but they can get fairly close Mm -hmm. to where that, that cell phone was. Right. Um, And in a lot of cases they can see, you know, at least the call logs and when those calls were made and where the other people may have been Mm -hmm. and where the parties went after. You can get information about what people bought if they bought it with a card or if you know where they were, you can get video surveillance. So it I, it's much in, you know, DNA, you know, in the 70s, DNA didn't exist. Well, it existed, but you, you couldn't get it. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think now um, there's a lot more evidence there, um, but not, you know, not always. Sometimes we see cases, as you know, where it's kind of... Um, more on, um, you know, we're, we're having issues going, okay, how are they making their case? Um, I don't see any evidence here. Is it just the state stating this and a, in a victim or somebody alleging this, or mm-hmm. is there, um,
0: more evidence here that, that we have to look at? Yeah. And we've been focusing on, you know, Archer and, and his plight, but the other interesting fact, uh, that, element of this ep- of this episode is that the advocate himself ends up standing up against the judge a little too hard and getting found in contempt we- right
1: well yeah, like you said before you know Archer wants to tell his story he wants to be able to testify which you can do in in America and you can't do that in other countries several other countries especially um, you know the Middle East and, and parts of Asia. You can't necessarily, um, well, I guess there wouldn't necessarily be a jury, we'll we'll say that. Right. In in a lot of countries, I don't know, I'm not versed enough on whether or not you could actually testify or not. But the fact that you don't have a jury would be a huge issue. But yeah, you're talking about where he, he, Archer finally does, you know, state his piece, and then they find him uh, guilty anyway. And what was interesting to me is they find that he didn't, um, the Klingons find that he didn't have the intent, um, to cause the strife. However, it occurred. Mm -hmm. So he needed to be punished for that, which, you know, in most cases, um, in America, you have to have mens rea or, you know, what's called intent. Um, and so in this particular case, ORAC, you know, that just set him off. And he was yelling about that the um, punishment needed to fit the crime and sending him to, um, what is it? Rua,
0: Rua Penthe.
1: Rua Pente, Yeah. Yeah. Sending him to, to there would be almost certain death. And, and that just didn't fit the crime. Um which, you know, in the strife and everything we see is, is the, the issue that I have um, when I see um, sometimes people get um, hurt or killed by vigilante justice or anything like that. And they mm. say, well, they, or cops, even, they, they get shot and they say, well, he shouldn't have run. And my thought is always, well, the crime for, you know, running is not death. Right. And so I think that's what exactly. the argument he's kind of making here as well. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you shouldn't have run. However, I don't think the the punishment uh, is, is death.
0: Yeah. And we're seeing now in the age of COVID um, where there's a lot of virtual hearings and attorneys getting called out. You know, attorneys, you know, get in trouble in front of judges all the time. But now everybody's recording it. And... Those videos are occasionally leaking onto the internet.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Have
0: we seen? Uh, has any of the have any of those videos uh, struck a chord with you, or jump out at you as being particularly, either egregious or particularly uh, funny?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think it all started COVID with the the cat video. Yeah, that was the best one. <laughs> I am not a cat. I am not a cat. Um, Another interesting video, I think, was where they were doing, he got kind of a following. He was kind of a a judge that probably should have been played by Jeff Bridges from some (laughs) Midwest town. uh, I I think maybe uh, Wisconsin or something. But um, the defendant um, appeared and he had a no contact order against the alleged victim Mm -hmm. and he appeared for the online hearing uh at the house of the alleged victim and the prosecutor knew it and told the judge and while they were there they had officers go over there because he stated i think on the record that he was at a different place than he was and he was not that you know many times we see People do unwise things, but in court, at least say hey, court, you're there. And that would not have happened otherwise. You say, hey, I'm in court. I'm, you know, by myself or yeah. much more difficult to uh, prove that. There was another one where an attorney um, started uh, yelling at the judge. Uh, I think that was out of Louisville. Um, on a hearing. And I believe she got suspended, you know, for that because uh, the the defense attorney was frustrated because she felt like she got a good deal for her client, um, which is frustrating. Um, However, what she did was uh, she, he stated that there were some mental issues and capacity concerns and her Response to that was well. This is a really good deal. He should take it anyway. Uh, said that he was. She said, "I'm not going to see him again." Started yelling back at the judge and got off of the call. And I believe she was suspended. Um, that was that was a little while ago. I don't remember exactly when that one was. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of just you know other ones um, that I thought were were
0: interesting. I mean, you can. I mean, you know, they've been videoing uh even bond hearings uh for a while now, so you can type in uh wild courtroom things from like True TV on YouTube. You can just type that in and and fall down a rabbit hole really quick of people saying and doing dumb things in front of the judge and on the record. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean that that happens all the time. It, and it will continue to happen. So. Yeah. Um What
0: did uh what did you think of this particular episode just as a piece of entertainment?
1: Uh it was good. Um you can tell the You're allowed so,
0: to be you're allowed to be honest here. Now, the, so. No, I, I really <laughs>
1: did. I liked it. But there there were issues or I thought the the humor was interesting. I very much liked when um Archer walks in, uh, to the tribunal and they're all yelling at him and he just says, I hope there's not a jury. And then he finds out Warwick that it's actually worse. There is no jury. (laughs) Really enjoyed that. Um, I really enjoyed, um, the fact that, um, Archer's getting worried about how long things are taking for the, um, verdict and, uh, a, Orac says, well I, i'm more persuasive than i thought you know usually we're already <laughs> done i must be more persuasive than i thought which is uh, something that you think about while you're waiting it, it's excruciating excruciating to wait for a verdict um either Oof. way and then um archer starts uh i really liked when archer started questioning his you know attorney while he was waiting and, and there's was a highs and lows you know at one point he says you know how many cases have you won um, and there's, uh, you know, back and forth. And then Archer says that, you know, he's really thankful for everything that he's done for him. Um how many cases the, have you won, Alex? You know, I don't, I don't know.
0: You know that's something that you keep, <laughs> but, um,
1: I uh, I started trying to at least write them down because people actually ask me that and keep a record of, yeah. of my cases for that for that reason, and I guess it's good if people call and ask, hey, what happened with this case, a uh, uh, win.
0: Yeah. Well, it's I think there's a big misconception, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think people's definitions of win versus loss of what is a win, what is a loss, there's varying degrees of that. I think. You know, sure, people sure. think people think it's black and white or you know one or the other, but
1: right, yeah, sure. I mean, all, all the time and and sometimes um I had a case where um, they if if my client would have been found um, guilty, you know, gun rights would have been uh, taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, instead we we ended up agreeing to a plea for a fifty dollar fine and a misdemeanor. Um, I was pretty confident that if we would have gone to trial, we would have won however um when you're when you're looking at that and the risk reward um that's the decision that the client has to make, and I just try and be as as candid with them as possible. Hey, I think you know I have a really good chance of winning this case. however, if I don't, the penalties uh even for You know, lower cases or or maybe not felonies can be uh, dire and uh, and lasting. So, um, in that case, um, that's probably a win. But uh, if we wouldn't have done that, maybe we go to trial. Maybe the the prosecution may ask for continuance. Mm -hmm. Um, You got to stay out of work longer, Um, but. You know, South Carolina still very much controls the docket, the prosecution. So I, I think that's going to change at some point, but right now it's still occurring. Um, but, you know, there's nothing like going to trial and, and and winning. It's one of the best feelings in the world to get an, an outright not guilty. Um, however, and, and, and I'm talking specifically about criminal trials, um, you, you know, even if you do they get a, a not guilty um it's kind of a melancholy feeling afterwards. Um, it's hard for people to recoup from that, um, the stress and everything else and moving on. But yeah. um, when you hear not guilty, um, it's amazing. It's, yeah. a, it's it's great.
0: Yeah. it's You know, for, and again, let's go back a little bit because I know there's a big misconception because uh, I get phone calls. I know Gabby, our other paralegal, gets phone calls. We get phone calls all day long asking us, the particular areas of law that we practice. So it's important for people to know not every attorney practices every aspect of the law. And when I first came to you, you were in a period of transitioning away from family law, but into more criminal, criminal defense and things of that nature. What takes a lawyer from one area of law to another or what, what makes you say, Hey, you know what? More than anything, I am super pumped. I am super jazzed about real estate law. Like, yeah, well, I think the (laughs) thing
1: about real estate law to be super jazzed about is quality of life. Uh, I don't think there's, you know, when you're doing real estate law, at least residential closings, you're probably not, uh, up at nine or 10 o'clock at night. Maybe you are, but, uh, working on getting that real estate closing. Correct. Right. Um, (laughs) It's more of a transactional, uh, you know, it's an important thing, but it's more of a transactional,
0: uh, interaction. Right. Um, so. But you talked about the, you know, sort of that stress and that melancholy feeling of, you know, after the verdict comes down, did you feel a certain way in family law well, getting a verdict versus criminal law Get, getting, you know, criminal defense, getting a, getting a particular verdict one way or another.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely a different feeling. Um, one of the things about, you know, that I always say on family court, on, at least on divorce, um, you know, is you, you can't win a divorce, but you can lose one. So, mm. and, and what I mean behind that, I mean, they're paying the client is paying you, to represent them, the other party's paying somebody else to represent them, and they are most likely using funds um, so that that they'll have much less of after a, a long trial. Right, and then a lot of times children are involved in the middle, and uh, people can get just very um, just ugly towards each other. There, um, it it, it it's, it's drags on. An extreme amount of time yeah um, it's just uh, it is a different kind of feeling altogether um, other than you know non-contested name changes or divorces and things those clients are ecstatic and, and, and happy most of the time because they've had a short divorce or or short marriage or because um, they've had you know want to get their name changed but in a a a truly contested custody or divorce battle uh it's just so emotional Mm. Um, and there's so much emotion uh that you have to try and uh, compartmentalize with how a judge is going to weigh the factors in a case right with a client who is not versed in litigation most of the time and if you do have one that is personal education you probably want to run but um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know they're they're very new to this and scared and emotional and they they don't know exactly uh, what what's going to happen as opposed to you know businesses um that, yeah. are, that are that are in their scope of business or in their employment they, they know exactly what it is it's, it can be emotional but but It's, it's much more emotional and and family.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I've been, the times that I've spoken with, you know, uh, either in, you know, uh, small gatherings of friends or, you know, family members, Oh, how's work going? And I was like, well, you know, to be honest, we never really have the, the, the vibe that I get from our clients generally is that we never really have to worry so much about the criminal clients, the criminal defense clients, because they're usually on their best behavior. But when it comes to family law, both sides feel that they've been wronged. They want blood more than, more often than not. And if they can't get it from the opposing party, they usually take it out on their legal team, their attorney and their paralegals.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for that, sure. I, I think that it's definitely a different um, posture overall. I mean, now we're you know stereotyping different... Um, fields of practice right sure i mean overall i think um criminal defense clients um have uh, they will not be as intensely calling all the time Mm -hmm. um you know on the other hand most of the time a criminal case is not continuing to move whereas Mm -hmm. a family court case things are continuing all the time because you know a child's book bag was not brought to the correct house or the homework wasn't done correctly or somebody moved a a bank account or the safe deposit box there's things that aren't in there um whereas in a criminal case it's these are the facts and um this is what we are going to try and prove you know you need to get ready for a defense if you're going to go to trial or you know, work on plea negotiations if you're going to plea. Right. Um, so it's just a different, like, it's, it's, it's a completely different type of um, law.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for uh, sharing uh, all of that with us. I, I know um, the law can be tricky. It can be scary. And I hope, you know, this episode helps shed some light on some of that for folks, but uh, let's get into uh, who do we blame? basically everyone that's involved in the episode the story was done by taylor elmore who this is his only credit in the franchise he, but he's uh not uh unaccustomed to some tv writing he's got um 64 episodes of justified se- 17 episodes of limitless 12 episodes of blood and treasure nine episodes of stephen king's uh the stand available now on paramount plus and uh, he was also uh, the executive producer of the 4,400. Uh, did you ever watch Justified with uh, Oh uh, Timothy Oliphant?
1: I never saw it. I heard about it, but yeah. I never watched
0: it. You're a big fan of uh, Better Call Saul. That's right. Uh, Bob Odenkirk. We, we talked about him the other night. He's yeah. uh, such a comedic genius. And then to be put into this role of the attorney trying to figure out this crooked world and all of that. Um, you even have a, a, a replica of his license plate, the lawyer up in your office. It's not a replica. It's no. not a replica.
1: It's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. No, every day I'm, I'm trying to, you know, strive more to be Atticus Finch. And every day I feel more
0: like, uh, Saul Goodman. So it it um, takes a toll, doesn't it? Oh yeah. You know that. <laughs> Uh, The story was also done by David A. Goodman. Uh, David A. Goodman also did the teleplay for this. Um, His last uh, work that he did on the series was season two, episode 11, precious cargo. Um, And we, we, we've discussed on the show before that David A. Goodman actually got brought into the show because of his writing on Futurama, where he wrote an episode where uh, all of Star Trek had been taken to a different planet and held hostage. So, we we felt like the uh the uh showrunners and uh head writers for enterprise were like hey we should probably get that guy to come work for us yeah. that's when he got the phone call uh this episode was directed by James L Conway whose last uh work on the show directing was the pilot season 1 episode 1 broken bow Uh, And we've got a couple of notable guest stars here. I'm actually going to start at the bottom of the list because I want to focus on uh, the big one last. Uh, As Duras, we got Daniel Riordan. I'm probably butchering that. But Daniel Riordan as Duras. After his debut performance in Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, uh, before more years before making his first franchise appearance in Star Trek Next Generation Coming of Age. And that's season one, episode 18 from 1988, where he plays Rodan. Uh, he's kind of a fish looking dude that has, uh, he's got this apparatus on his chest that he basically is like constantly putting like his upper lip into. I don't know if you recall that from uh, your viewing of uh, Next Gen, but I always thought he was a really unique looking character. Uh, John Vickery plays the role of prosecutor orak and he attended university. Um, he attended the university of California at Davis, uh, where he pursued a degree in mathematics. Uh, and after graduating studied acting in London and worked in many productions, in New York city. He, uh, he actually got uh, his, some roles on LA law, a series uh, from the eighties and nineties and, um, The episode Rest in Pieces, that's Season 5, Episode 11, from 1991. And Season 5, Episode 4, from 1990, playing uh, two different characters there. And then he uh, made his first franchise appearance in Star Trek Next Generation, uh, Night Terrors, which is Season 4, Episode 17, from 1991, uh, where he played the role of Andrus Hagen. And then we've got... Granville Van Dusen As the Klingon Magistrate The guy banging the sparky gavel Uh, He's actually got Quite a lot of really fun Credits here, a lot of one-offs He's basically a working character Actor Uh, But uh, 1977 He was in The Bionic Woman Chips In 1979, Three's Company In 83, Magnum P.I. In 85 Murder, She Wrote in 86, Highway to Heaven, Mr. Belvedere, and Matlock, another uh, courtroom drama uh, 1987, Doogie Hauser M.D. in 1990, The West Wing in 2003, and then he did have some larger stints on a few shows, The New Adventures of Johnny Quest, he did 13 episodes there, 51 episodes of Young and the Restless, and 102 episodes of Port Charles, uh, but this Episode of Enterprise is one of only two uh, appearances for Mr. Van Dusen in the franchise, and so we will talk about him again later. But I think the most uh, interesting member of the guest-starring cast is Mr. J.G. Hertzler, who plays Coloss, the advocate. Uh, just briefly, he attended blo- Just briefly, he attended Bucknell University, playing linebacker on their football team. And while there, he got into acting. And after graduating with a degree in political science in 1972, he got his master's in set design at the University of Maryland. And he attended law school there for a year uh, at American University. Uh, While there, he worked in the Nixon administration and for the EPA and took an assortment of jobs to practice theater, including waiting Tables at dinner theater, bartending, and taxi driving. And that taxi driving would come in handy when he played the role of a driver uh, in the 1979 film And Justice for All, starring Al Pacino. You're familiar
1: with that one, right? I've got that movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. A good movie.
0: <laughs> to my shame, I gotta admit,
1: I've never seen it. (laughs) Well, you can borrow it. It's not very long. It's only like an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I would
0: love some Pacino. Um, uh, Mr. Hertzler's first notable TV appearance uh, was in 1990 on, surprise, surprise, Quantum Leap. Uh, Alongside Scott Bakula, it was season two, episode 11, The Sea Bride. And his first major TV role was in the 90s series, Zorro, uh, as Alcade. Ignacio de Soto, the antagonist, uh, basically uh, runs the town. And uh, uh, that's in the third and fourth seasons of that show. I remember watching that show as a kid. I really, really enjoyed it. And I was like, it's, it's, it's Mexican Batman. This is awesome. <laughs> uh, but Hertzler's first involvement in the franchise was in Deep Space Nine, uh, the pilot episode, Emissary, uh, which shows uh, Ben Sisko facing off against Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, but Hertzler plays a Vulcan captain of the Federation starship Saratoga. And, uh, in an interview with star Trek.com, Hertzler said that he had worked with Patrick Stewart at the Paramount studios lot where Stewart actually ran some Shakespeare wood workshops. Uh, and he would later audition for De- deep space nine several times, but didn't get anything. And then, uh, He was at the Paramount Studios, uh, he was at Paramount Studios auditioning for another series, and then the DS9 casting director, Ron Surma, uh, had him read for the Klingon General Martok, Uh, and at first Hertzler portrayed Martok as more mild-mannered, but then when they asked him to play it angrier, he picked up a chair and threw it, and one of the legs actually stuck in the wall, (laughs) and in doing this, he actually ripped his thumbnail and it started to bleed. And, uh, and that's how you get parts in Hollywood, kids. Just uh, throw chairs, cut yourself, and uh, study acting with Patrick Stewart. So, final thoughts on this episode. Um, do you feel like this uh, is an accurate portrayal of any aspects of the real judicial system, Alex? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, and I guess it depends on which you know, judicial system you're talking about, but definitely, um, there are some similarities, um, with, with our judicial system. Um, and maybe this was enhanced to, to, you can make the inference that, you know, in the, the, the trial is a sham. There's no jury that's going to listen to me. I'm sure some people feel that way. Um, a judge that, uh, you know, doesn't want to listen to you, an arrogant attorney, um, you know, the stress of a trial, uh, all these things. Um, and then the contempt, uh, that somebody was held in, which, you know, I think is direct contempt or criminal contempt is fairly rare, especially for an attorney to be held in criminal contempt, but it does happen. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not so different on earth.
0: <laughs> Did, uh, in, in your experience with, um. Uh... The original series and next and the next generation how does this stack up with those other shows for you did you enjoy it overall Did I enjoy this show overall Yeah, yeah. I
1: told you I did yeah yeah. Wait, you thought I was lying to
0: you? <laughs> well listen I I, like you got to ask the question certain ways and make yeah, sure you get the right. same answer from the person on the stand <laughs> well, that's right uh,
1: no yeah really I liked it and it was um, entertaining and interesting uh, there was you know sort of a comedic uh and it's hard to know if it's because we're looking at it you know 20 years later or if if it was that um if it was that interesting when they were writing it at the time um but uh yeah, yeah
0: I liked it nice nice would you uh be willing be willing to come back if we have another courtroom themed Star Trek episode <laughs>
1: yeah I'm here we're here working Todd I <laughs> We don't have anything else to do.
0: (laughs) Nice, nice. Well, next week we will be joined by Mr. Jeremy Larson, a.k.a. Mad Riker on TikTok for Enterprise Season 2, Episode 20, Horizon, which is available on Hulu, Amazon Prime, and, of course, on Paramount+. Plus. Alex, where can people find you on the Internet?
1: They can find me. At alexcornfeld.com, K O R N F E
0: L D dot com. Nice. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in 10 forward.
1: And this. Your subspace transmissions to computer
0: resume podcast at gmail.com or at computer resume on facebook twitter and instagram the computer resume podcast was created and produced by mr todd a davis our logo was designed by will martin and justin bishop the opening theme was produced by justin bishop our outro music was provided with permission by drone node additional music was provided by mr todd a davis and gary horn and i'm cat davis
1: at that dot with a k On Instagram, the Computer Resume Podcast
0: is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time.
1: Going through a Star Trek. (laughs) We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. (laughs) We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?